Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, this is a staggering sermon from our Lord today. I'll bet it buckled you at the knees and took your breath away. I mean, what Jesus says today in the text is comparable to the massive right hand that George Foreman landed on Joe Frazier's chin that knocked the heavyweight champion of the world down to his knees on the boxing mat. Do you remember the call? One of the most famous calls in sports history of that devastating blow by the late Howard Cosell in 1973. Do you remember that? Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. And so the words of our Lord in the text are like a ravaging right hand to our jaw that leaves all of us on rubber leg street and seeing stars. And rightly so. When Jesus, like he did with Israel of old, claims you as his own, when Jesus is God for you by Good Fridayly dying on the cross, by shedding his divine blood to atone forever for all your sin, by giving you his divine and saving name in your baptism, well, nothing is the same ever again. Nothing, absolutely nothing is the same. Brothers and sisters, Jesus jealously wants you for himself. He alone is the Savior, and that means no one else is. Jesus alone is God for you. No one else can be God for you. That includes your closest kin, your spouse or even your own self. Your parents aren't God. Your spouse isn't God. Your brother or sister isn't God. To replace these people to be your gods is idolatry, and this cannot be tolerated. Or as Jesus puts it in the text, when a spouse or relatives play like pretend divinities and saviors, or when you pretend to be God, that is to be hated. Yes, Jesus said it. He used the H-word. Moms and dads are to be H-worded. They are to be honored as God's instruments because they gave you your life, they preserve your life, and they bring you to Jesus for salvation. Yes, parents are God's creatures for those purposes, but they're not divinities to be worshipped. And neither are you. This is why Jesus says in the text, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Again, the point Jesus is making is that he alone is the Savior. Nobody else is. And it includes members of your own family. Brothers and sisters, don't make anybody in your family or a spouse, don't make them pretend divinities, don't make them into idols. Trust in Jesus only for salvation. Well, Jesus isn't done preaching more staggering words or more, more right hands to the jaw. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. Well, let me put it to you bluntly. Crosses aren't pretty. They're ugly. I know what Hallmark does with the cross, but it's ugly. Crosses kill people. They are brutal and they are torturous instruments of intense suffering and horrific death. It happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's telling you to take up your, your death. Yes, that's right, death. Death to your sin. Death to all your sinful desires, your habits and deeds, so that a new man, spelled F-A-I-T-H, can arise and live before God in Christ's righteousness, which is his forgiveness. Bearing the cross, brothers and sisters, you hear this all the time, but I'm trying to set the record straight here. Bearing the cross isn't having a little hangnail. It's not having a headache. It's not having a dead battery in your boat on the lake. Bearing your cross is not being able to party on the weekend or not being able to golf on a Sunday or missing a football practice. Bearing the cross is about death. Did you hear that? Death. There are many powerful people in our country that hate you and they want to eliminate you from the face of the earth because you worship Jesus and you confess him as the Lord of all. You're a threat to these people. You have become an enemy of the state because the state acts like God and brokers no rivals, especially the Lord Jesus Christ. I fear that we are learning this in spades, and especially what Jesus meant in his sermon today when he categorically tells all of us that to be his disciple will mean bearing the cross. It means dying. You remember in John 15, Jesus warned us that just as the world hated him, the world will hate you. And, Jesus says in John 15, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Old Testament saints and early church fathers, they learned what Jesus meant about bearing the cross quite intensely. Remember John the Baptist, what happened to him? Beheaded. All the apostles except one, John, were murdered. Peter, what happened to him? Do you remember? Crucified, upside down. Stephen, what happened to him? Stoned to death. Polycarp, the disciple of St. John the Apostle, was burned at the stake. Such bearing the cross still goes on to this day all over the world, like in China, yeah, China, Indonesia, Africa, especially in Nigeria, and the Middle East, where Christians are persecuted, hunted down, and murdered for confessing Jesus as the Lord. They will have no other God except Jesus. You cannot simply be a disciple of Jesus without the cross. Jesus' way is what? It's death and resurrection. So, if you want to follow Jesus in the way that he's going, then be prepared to carry the cross too and go the way of death, which will lead to resurrection with him. Then Jesus says, count the cost. Do the accounting. Run the spreadsheet. Uh, we do this all the time in our lives, don't we? I know I do. When you want to build a house, what do you do? You go get a bid. You work out the costs and you apply for a loan to make sure that you have enough money available, right? You've all done this. If you don't, and you pour a foundation and you frame the house and then you run out of money, all you'll have is an unfinished home that will stand as what? A monument to your short-sighted stupidity. We've all seen this in life. The ambitious building projects that never get done. The house that stands for years partially completed because didn't count the 
When a king goes to battle, he counts the cost of war. Can he afford it? Can his 10,000 troops match his enemy's 20,000? And if he can't, he sends a peace delegation to negotiate terms. Many of our decisions are economic more than anything else, aren't they? Yes, they are. Like, can we afford it? Will it break the bank? Do we have enough money? We make important choices in our lives by counting the cost, don't we? We do it 24-7. And we're short-sighted fools if we don't. Now, what does Jesus say in the text? Now, you count the cost of being my, my disciple. What will it cost you to follow Jesus? Your life. Not just your money. Not just your reputation or whatever. It's going to cost you your life, everything, all that you have. To follow Jesus on his road to Jerusalem is to die and to rise, literally. It's going to cost you everything that you hold dear. Can you afford it? Are you willing to pay that price? You say that you want to follow Jesus and be his disciples. Are you willing to pay the cost of that discipleship? <laughs> now, get ready for this. When I ask people to join this congregation, and be a disciple and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what they always worry about? What it's going to cost them. And here's what they say. Pastor, does this mean I'm going to have to give 10% every week? Well, Pastor, will I have to volunteer for some kind of board and serve on some kind of committee? I mean, are you going to put me on the youth group committee? Will you expect me to actually come to church on a regular basis, Pastor, if we join this congregation? This is what they ask me. Well, following Jesus is going to cost you a lot more than 10% of your income or a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. Following Jesus is going to cost you everything, your entire life. And it may cost you your life, literally. Some of you may be martyred like the apostles and millions of Christians that have gone before you over the centuries. Nothing is to compete. Did you hear me? Nothing is to compete with or to get in the way of your faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing and no one. This is the cost of following Jesus. It means that if a parent, a child, work, friends, food, booze, sports, you name it, if those things compete or run interference with Jesus, then you are not worthy of being his disciple. He said it. I didn't. Don't blame me. But you know, folks, truth be told, if you ran the cost, which I've just been doing with you from our Lord's words, if you ran the cost of following Jesus, you wouldn't. If that great crowd following Jesus like a rock star in those days considered what Jesus was going to endure, namely dying on the cross, they would have turned around ASAP and they would have run away as far away as possible from him. And many did. You know the story, don't you? If you counted the cost, you would never come to be baptized. You'd never come to the Lord's Supper. If you counted the cost, you would never trust in Jesus. You would never decide to follow Jesus. No one would. And you know why I'm saying this? Here's why I'm saying this. Because that is precisely why, are you listening? This is precisely why God never makes salvation a choice. Why is that? Well, because no one would choose the way of salvation. It's simply too what? It's too costly. That's right. 
If salvation were left to you and me to decide, if following Jesus were a choice you were given to make, nobody would do it. No one takes up their cross willingly. No one willingly sets his face to Jerusalem as Jesus did. You see death and you run away from it as far as possible. The doctor says you've got six months and you panic and you run to all kinds of quack cures and promises that promise false hope. If you counted the cost of discipleship, you'd make the U-turn on the road to Jerusalem as fast as you could. This is why God doesn't make salvation a choice. It might sound like they, that way as we heard in the Old Testament reading today, I call heaven and earth, remember God said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Sounds like a choice, doesn't it? Choose between death and life. But there's no neutral position between death and life and evil and good. It's one or the other. If you're dead, listen carefully, if you're dead, you're in no position to choose life. And if you're alive, the only choice you have is death. But you have no choice where you start. Israel belonged to the Lord, brothers and sisters. He was their God. They were his people. They didn't choose him. He chose them. And being his chosen people, the only choice they had was not to be his chosen people. Similarly, Adam and Eve didn't choose life. They were given life as a gift. The only choice that Adam and Eve had was death, and they took that choice. Or you remember in the book of Joshua, Joshua says to his people, choose this day whom you will serve. The only choice they have is which idol they will serve if they don't serve the God who has chosen them. This is why Jesus calls coming to faith in the Bible a rebirth. John 3, remember? Being reborn from above, John 3. Becoming a new creation. Baptism is a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Titus 3. And Jesus taught that to Nicodemus in John 3. Did anybody ask you if you wanted to be born? Seriously. Would anyone want to be born if they counted the cost of leaving the womb? No way. This is why Jesus has to go the way of the cross alone. There's not a sinner alive who would be willing to take up his cross and follow. Even Simon of Cyrene had to be forced to carry our Lord's cross. You wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because the cost is too great. So here's the point. Jesus is the one who bears the cost of discipleship, discipleship for you and me. This is the good news hidden in today's reading. Jesus is the one who bears and counts the cost. He lays down his life to save the world. He becomes the world's sin. He dies your death. He did not count equality with God something to be held like a treasure, but rather emptied his grasp of all that he had to go to his own death on the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ counted the cost of being the world's savior. Jesus, he's the one who counted the cost of rescuing us all from our sin and death. And it was worth every drop of his holy precious blood to save you. Jesus gave up everything that was his. His honor, his glory, his dominion, his power, his entire life for the joy of your salvation. Jesus is the one who set his face to go to Jerusalem to die. He took up his cross to save you 
and me from eternal damnation. Oh, Jesus didn't ask you to choose him. He chose you. He baptized you. He called you to believe in him by the Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing. He put you on the path of life before you ever so much started growing in your mother's womb. You were spiritually dead, but God made you alive in Jesus. You were spiritually stillborn, and God rebirthed you by water and the Spirit. You were captive to sin and death, but God has freed you in Christ. Before you believed, before you were born, before you were ever were, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your Redeemer. You didn't choose him. He chose you. Even if you came to faith as an adult and sought out baptism, Jesus is the one who chose you, and he laid his cross on you, not to kill you, but to give you life. So then, finally, count the cost of discipleship and thank Jesus for paying it for you when he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's joyfully staggering, salvationally staggering, that he would do that for you. And that puts everything back into its proper perspective. So worship Jesus only. In the name of Jesus. Amen.